This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the executive producer and co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. Connect with us via www.popupstudio.productions or follow and direct message me on Twitter via at GregMastersMPH, and that's Greg with two Gs. On today's episode, our guest is Harvey Castro, MD, MBA, Fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians, and author, writer, and go-to medical media expert and speaker. Follow on Twitter and Instagram via at HarveyCastroMD. Dr. Castro is the author of Bing Copilot and Other LLM, Revolutionizing Healthcare with AI, and ChatGPT and Healthcare, the key to the new future of medicine. So buckle up and get ready for a timely exchange, given ChatGPT's evolution, exponential growth, and significant presence at the world's largest global health IT gathering, also known as HIMSS, the Health Information Management Systems Society. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Harvey, welcome to Pop Health Week. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a pleasure to get you on. I've had the opportunity to read one of your books, Chat GPT, the book called Bing Copilot and other LLMs about, about Chat GPT. But first, why don't you provide us a little bit of your background? Yeah, uh, I'm an ER board certified physician, uh, serial entrepreneur. I uh, love medicine and uh, to give a quick background, uh, Developed many different companies. One was an iPhone software company. I had over 30 iPhone uh, apps that came out when the first iPhone came out. And then fast forward, uh, when ChatGPT came out as a recent, I've just been fascinated about the subject. So I'm just trying to figure out how can I incorporate ChatGPT in healthcare? Yeah, so you've actually written a couple of books on this, haven't you? Yeah, I've been a little addicted uh, to the subject. Uh, I just look at it from different lenses, from the patients and different parts of uh, the patient healthcare system. And I thought, huh, let me figure out different ways of writing different parts of this and, and how it relates to different people. Because some person may not care about AI in healthcare, but if I tell them, hey, this is how you lose weight, or hey, this is how you can work, uh, you know, this certain part of medical, medical diseases, they're interested in that particular subject. Yeah, it's fascinating. And you've been churning these out, which is really great. So how have you done that? Have you used ChatGPT to help you with this? Yeah, good question. Um, I call it my brainstorming sessions. Uh, instead of me sitting down and taking forever thinking of a table of contents, I make uh, a pseudo table of contents and then I submit it to ChatGPT and say, okay, give me a table of contents. And then I get a little OCD. I tell it, okay, give me a complete table of contents. And it's interesting because it'll give me one and then if I keep pushing, 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 it starts adding more and more chapters. And then at the end, it's like, okay, this basically covers everything. And then when I get to that point, uh, then I guide it. So, you know, each chapter I'll go through and say, okay, you know, what, what is the latest on this? The interesting thing on the book that you've read, the co-pilot, all those things are in that book or majority did not exist when uh, ChatGPT's database was closed. And so when it talks about Gatortron and it talks about other GPTs, if I ask ChatGPT, hey, write a chapter on this, it'd say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. That's not in my database. And so it, it's a combination of uh, using the principles of certain chapters and adding what I have found and what are the newest things that are going on. Um, so things like that. So it's, so the answer is yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Fascinating. So given that 
that um, you've used this to help you with the book. For those that maybe haven't messed with ChatGPT yet, how would you describe it? What is it? You know, I sound like a broken record every time someone asks me. I, I have a different uh, <laughs> angle to it, but I think my best summary is as follows. I think of ChatGPT literally, and I know this is going to sound odd, as like my best friend. Uh, my smartest best friend that I can call on 24-7, ask him or her any question that I can think of, and she will always answer something to me. And that analogy is basically ChatGPT. You can ask it anything. It'll tell you back anything you're asking. But the problem is uh, sometimes ChatGPT will give you an answer, and because you're not an expert in that field, you don't know that it's actually false. And that's the kind of scary part, and they call that hallucinations. Right. And that's one of the things that that you really need to think about. Sort of one of the boundaries of the use of this product is to understand sometimes it does get it wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and that, as you said, is called a hallucination, which is another fascinating thing to think about. Yeah. <laughs> An AI system hallucinating. Yeah. But um, so you did this in healthcare. You're obviously a healthcare expert. Where do you see this being used most effectively? You know, there's different renditions of ChatGPT, and we talk about 3.5, and now the latest is 4, and and uh, because of Elon Musk's statement, I don't know if they're pseudo-stopping this. They, they, the OpenAI came out and said they're not really working on 5 right now, um, but what I do know is that uh, they are working on it, but they're just going to call it 4.1, 4.2, and so forth. So how can it be used? I think immediately... Uh, two things. I call it the brainstorming sessions. I really think it's an amazing tool to brainstorm because uh, you're looking at a subject, you're trying to explore that subject, but then you have this peripheral brain that you can ask it anything and it's helping you. How can it be used in healthcare specifically? I really think it's in the education portion. I divide this uh, talk into three parts. Uh, can a doctor, a doctor and a patient is one, and then the other is before they see a patient, during the patient encounter, and after. And in my uh, thinking, I think the biggest parts are probably in the front and the end. In the end, uh, let me start with the front end of it. And the front end of it would be like, you're about, I'm the doctor and say, you're my patient. You're going to come see me and let's pretend you have, I'm going to make up these diseases and let's pretend you have diabetes, hypertension, and we're, it's a yearly visit. Well, why not you ask ChatGPT all the questions about hypertension, diabetes, uh, obesity, and then when you meet me, we have this strong intellectual conversation because you're like, you know what, I know what to ask my doctor, as opposed to you coming in and I say, how's your day? We talk about sports and we like, oh yeah, here's your blood pressure medicine. And it's only a superficial conversation. But what if you use the power of ChatGPT to really explore it and to the point where you're like, okay, I'm a white male, I'm 45 years old, I have the following diseases, what are some good questions to ask my doctor? Well, then boom, now you come in, now reality is you only get 13 minutes is the national average with the doctor. Now those 13 minutes, we're going to really have some deep conversations and we're really going to explore things that you may, may not know well. Or you may be like, huh, I never thought of that. It goes back to my initial point of the brainstorming session. The other part, and I get really excited, and it's a little geeky part of me, but I get excited because the last part is just education. So on the website, obviously healthcare providers can beef up their website. And I say healthcare providers because I don't think it should be marketing looking at diabetes and putting it on the website based on ChatGPT. I think it should be doctors that are looking at the data that comes out of ChatGPT to make sure it's not hallucinating, make sure that it's accurate, that it's safe, and then put it on the website. But the part that makes me exciting is, excited is the following. This is probably the best example I have found. 
long story short, as a doctor, one of the biggest problems that I see is people do not take their medicines. People don't understand their disease. And so it's even tougher for children because how do you talk to a five-year-old when your brain is like this doctor brain and you're talking all those medical terms? You have to break it down to a five-year-old. And so the best example I found is this hospital basically took a discharge summary of how to send home a child that had just been diagnosed with asthma. And the paperwork was very adult-like, meaning had all this lingo and all the stuff that only uh, parents could understand. And even some parents may not be educated to that point where they're like, huh, I really don't understand this discharge instructions. And so what it did is it took its power of GGP, ChatGPT, and it told it, give me the same discharge instructions. So they took it, they pasted it into ChatGPT and said, give me the, uh, the discharge instructions for a five-year-old. So now it took all that complicated language and it broke it down to how you would speak to a five-year-old. And then the part that gets me really excited is that they took this thing called Dolly. Dolly is this thing where you can text and it makes images and they made a coloring book. And now they put those discharge instructions with the coloring book and they put it together and they gave it to the child. And I thought, oh my God, brilliant. Because a child can now interpret the coloring book, can understand the coloring, can understand the concepts of like, huh, I guess I should take my medicine and if I have these symptoms, maybe I should talk to my doctor, I should do this. And I thought, oh my God, this is like amazing. And I thought if we can do this with our patients, then I, I, I'm a forward thinker. Then I thought, well, fast forward five, 10, 20 years, then I call it our healthcare IQ should go up to the point where now we're more educated on healthcare. Maybe, you know, now it's a joke when I say, hey, you shouldn't smoke. We're like, yeah, I know you shouldn't smoke. But later we're going to learn so much about preventative medicine that we're going to get to another level that people be like, yeah, I, I don't eat that. I don't drink that. Because as a society, we're all going to elevate to a certain point where we're like, huh, this is healthier. And I, I, my prediction is fast forward, our life expectancy will go up because of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I find that whole approach of using chat GPT for that or similar systems to be really key. I think it can improve health literacy, as you talk about, which is a, a key driver for a lot of what's costing us in healthcare and poor outcomes, et cetera. I also know that as an example, I've, I've used it to actually understand one of my son's cosmology papers, <laughs> which was way beyond my understanding. <laughs> and and to say, put this into lay layperson's terms mm. and, and out it comes. So I think it's really a, a very good tool to use for that. And what I do find interesting also is I've been playing now with ChatGPT. I've been playing with BARD. Mm. And I now put the questions into both of them. Okay. And it's been fascinating to watch the difference. And I'll give you a, a classic example of that. I used a, a framework for population health and said, write some articles based on this framework for population health. And one of the steps was survey your population, you know, select them, then survey them. And whereas chat GPT looked broadly at the idea of surveying, gathering, using that as a term to gather data from multiple sources, Bard looked at it much more as survey. So you can do it by telephone, you can do it by mail, you can do it by text. And it was really interesting to watch the differences. And I think that's some another thing we need to consider as we look at boundaries around what makes sense with some of these. You also talk a lot, Harvey, about the ethical issues of this. Really a fascinating area. Do you want to touch on that a bit? Yeah, for sure. You know, we... I want to make sure doctors especially understand the limitations of uh, chat GPT. And let's just call it GPT because to your point, it could be BARD. It could be some other future GPT that we're using bio GPT. But the, one of the biggest things I foresee is the limitations in the database, meaning 
whatever's put into ChatGPT, it understands. But if it doesn't, if it's never put into it, then it can't interpret and it can't make extrapolation decisions based on it. And so to give you a quick example, um, I'm just going to pick on West Africa. If West Africa wasn't studied and this breast cancer treatment or population is making generalization statements, those are really towards American and depending on the study that was funded, it could be white females. And so will it apply to the population out in West Africa that's using ChatGPT? No, because it's a different population. They may have different outcomes. They may have different therapies. They may eat differently. There's just so many factors that it doesn't apply. And so from an ethical point of view, I feel like you're only reinforcing those that have and really hurting the ones that don't and that are not represented by ChatGPT. And I feel like if you're not careful, then you're going to make the wrong decisions for certain populations because you're thinking, oh, well, this applies to everybody. And in reality, it's only the bell curve. It, it's not hitting those outliers because it wasn't meant for it, as opposed to, let's just say, Elon Musk decides, you know what? I'm going to research West Africa, and we're going to do all these studies, and we're going to all this, and we're going to put it into ChatGPT or his true GPT is what he calls it then all of a sudden it, it represents those populations more than, than ours and it would change. So just to kind of make you think, then the other ethics of this, and I've really spent some time on this is, you know, what if open AI fast forwards and says, okay, right now it's free. And then if you want, you pay 20 bucks a month, but, but what if it gets to the point where they're like, okay, it's 200 bucks a month. And people are like, man, I really want that, but I'm not paying $200 a month. From an ethical point of view, it gets really tough because then you can argue that, like we just said, maybe the life expectancy goes up. Well, then what's going to happen? Those that are using this tool or has have access will live longer and those that don't. I mean, just from an ethical point, just thinking it out, I'm like, wow, that's just so wrong. And so as a healthcare provider, one of the things I always struggle with is healthcare to me, we got to help people. And I understand we got to make some profit so that we can research and, and grow new drugs and new therapies. But at the same time, if it's going to hurt people, then I have a hard time with how can we justify hurting someone to to make a profit? And I know that sounds kind of out there, but those are some of the ethical things well, that I, and I that think about. And that gets the whole issue of health equity that we talked about and the disparities that we see within our healthcare system. And so this really can be a tool to reduce those inequities. Mm -hmm. But as you said, if it's set up in certain ways that individuals don't have access to it, obviously, we then further exacerbate those inequities that we're trying to solve for right now. What are some other areas? And before we get to that, you mentioned bias, which essentially there's bias in the data set because it's not inclusive. And we've seen that impact with other forms of AI, you know, that were pretty nationally recognized in some news stories about how they misinterpreted data associated with individuals from a different racial or a, or a group because of not having them in the data set. Yeah. So obviously a critical issue that, that probably crosses all of AI when you think about building it, right? Yeah, for sure. Just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Harvey Castro, MD, MBA, Fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians, who's an author, writer, and go-to medical media expert and speaker. His work includes Bing Copilot and other LLM revolutionizing healthcare with AI, and ChatGPT and Healthcare, the key to the new future of medicine. Do follow his work on Twitter and Instagram by at Harvey Castro MD. So as we as we think about this too, um, what are some other areas where you think we can apply uh, one of these language learning models? 
You know, it's fascinating because as we speak today, I feel like the model's getting better. Meaning, you know, you and I can ask it a question yesterday and not like the response. And then today it's actually better because it's learning. It's literally learning from all of us. And so it's kind of a really tough question to answer because, you know, the other day I saw this article about an ER doctor complaining how ChatGPT did horrible in, in healthcare. And I said two things. One, did he actually spend time as he's seeing a life and death patient with putting that information into ChatGPT to ask those questions? Probably not because he doesn't have time. He's got to save lives. Minutes counts. I'm an ER doctor. I get it. The other part to this is how can it be used? I, I really think the sky's the limit because as an ER doctor, I'll give a quick example. One of the pain points is uh, patients that are overdosed, they come in. Uh, obviously, they're not talking to you. The family brings bottles in and they don't know what, what's in those bottles. Well, now with ChatGPT4, you could take a picture, it could identify it. It could technically go into the database, tell me what it is, tell me based on the person's symptoms, it's probably this pill, and then send me the antidote. And then that could be hooked up to my pharmacy where the pharmacist sees it's like, oh, Dr. Castro needs this antidote and it's already there. And that could literally happen within minute, a minute. Whereas currently that would take a while to get to that process. And so how can we use this in the future? I think we're going to have better discharge instructions. We're going to have better education. Uh, the average uh, medical knowledge doubles every 72 days. And so imagine how much data I have to be responsible for. And that's why I'm an ER doctor, not a generalist, because if I knew, had to know everything, I, I would just live behind the books and never see a patient because I have to always be reading. <laughs> um, but my point is ChatGPT now can give me that delivery where if I'm looking for a particular subject, obviously we talked about the hallucination effect, but I'm saying like, let's just fast forward where we have BioGPT or something strong in healthcare. The idea would be, man, I have this amazing database, this peripheral brain. Um, to give you another example, as an ER doctor, you know, at two and three in the morning after I've worked 24 hours, I'm exhausted. My brain's maybe not quite there. But if I had this peripheral brain that I can say, hey, patient has X, Y, Z, tell me your differential diagnosis, not that I'm telling it to do my job, but just to be able to have something else that I can say, oh, yeah, you know, right now it's accepted if I get a textbook out and it's like, oh, yeah, this, this, let me show you. Um, but if I talk to ChatGPT, some people out there are saying, oh, man, he's an idiot. He shouldn't be using that. He doesn't know. But in reality, no, I'm, my whole thing is we're augmenting myself. I'm, I'm adding my brain, my creativity, how I ask the questions. And that was my other point is um, the more of us are asking the questions, the more ChatGPT is learning how to respond and realizing, oh, wait, you know what? This is the, what they're asking. Let me, let me enforce this particular point. It's quite interesting. And and you raise a great point, Harvey, which is augmentation. There's always this concern, this talk, oh, AI is going to get rid of the physician. you know. But I do see in certain fields, perhaps, like content writing, it can certainly make a company much more efficient regarding content writing. And maybe they don't need to hire two or three people to help write stuff anymore, as you talked about. It gives you the basic outline, and then you adjust it. But in the medical field, really, there's still that expertise that you talked about, one, to, to accept what's coming out of the system, is that valid? <laughs> and then two, to say, well, here's how I apply that or, it's, or et cetera. So the yeah. doctors, do you see it impacting physicians as greatly as perhaps other areas? You know, that's a perfect point. Radiology has really taken AI to heart. They've, there's so many more applications in radiology as opposed to family practice. And so with that example, 
I do see the future and dermatology is probably even a better example where, you know, if my phone can take a picture of a, a certain rash and it tells me what it is based on some of the things that I had asked, then in theory, it could replace a dermatologist, some of their functions. And then you fast forward and you start doing it this enough, then maybe you don't need, I'm making this up, you maybe you don't need like, I don't know, 10,000 dermatologists, maybe you only need 5,000. You know, and so there's a shift and and maybe instead of their day being spent on diagnosing on XYZ, maybe they're spending more time on procedures that AI can do. So it, there's going to be a shift here in, in, in how things are done and, and what responsibilities are given. Yeah, and I think we can also see someone think about the dermatologist. Let's say you're doing a lot of this over the, com the computer using an AI system. Maybe you get a smaller office. Yeah. Maybe you have few, fewer staff. You don't need yeah. as big a parking lot. So those savings ultimately accrue to the overall healthcare costs and make you more efficient and, and more cost-effective. Yeah, and let's take that example to the next level. What about patients, uh, honestly, dermatologists may not want to live in East Texas, for example, or <laughs> in a real small area. They may not. They're like, I don't want to live there. I want to be in the big city. And so what happens to those patients when they have to see a dermatologist? They have to drive to the big city. So in essence, you could make the argument that this can give you that uh, system for the family practice doctor. Now they have the power to do what the dermatologist could do. And then now only the really sick or the ones that really need to see a dermatologist, those are the ones that have to go to the city. But that can help, help save us some money as far as healthcare. Fascinating. And, act, and get care out to these communities that we know are struggling to get specialists in to, to be, be there and maintain a practice, et cetera. A great, great point. So you're obviously bullish on this. What should we be looking for to come out as this continues to get used? You know, it's kind of crazy. Um, the more and more I read, the more more two things. I realize how much I don't know, but then at the same time, <laughs> I feel like my predictions are may, maybe more off than I realize. For example, uh, they say that, that, that they, there is a way of using ChatGPT and putting it on your phone. Uh, there are ways of creating this million dollar, multi-million dollar chat bot and doing it for $600. And the reason I mentioned those two examples is if that's already exists today, then who's to say six months from now, a year from now, this doesn't become a thing where you have your own AI bot and it's your doctor in your pocket and it's you know certified and whatnot and FDA approved and you literally have a doctor in your pocket. Um, I don't see that being far away. I really don't. Wow. Wow. You know, getting to this also in a broader sense, have you thought through, obviously, a population health program here? I've thought of some concepts of where you could use this. One of them, obviously, you've talked about is just health literacy, which is a key focus of population health. Are there other areas where you think this could be used? Yeah, I, I'm. I, this is another ethical slash interesting point. I have talked with many country uh, companies, com countries out in like West Africa, Nigeria, different places in Africa, third world countries, because I feel like these countries will more likely use this technology faster than we will in the United States because pros versus cons. I mean, if there's no doctor in this whole part of the country, then this is better than nothing. And in a sense, what I foresee happening is you'll have like a physician assistant and you'll have AI and you'll have terminals and you'll have all these masses of people coming in and 
this one person is supervising, but it's helping the masses. And that kind of stuff, I really think it's going to come, ironically, from West Africa. It won't come from the United States because here in the United States, we have so many lobbyists and issues and legal and ethics and all this other stuff that I think our government here is like, we don't have to do that. Whereas other governments in other parts of the world are going to say, you know what, this is better than nothing. So do you see that sort of being a leapfrog where they, in essence, pass us in the use of AI within their overall system of healthcare? Yes, I do. And I think that sounds <laughs> odd, but I do think they're going to do things that we're like, huh, why don't we do that? And it's going to be quite interesting because then you're going to start finding all these pockets outside of the United States because, you know, in the United States, a doctor makes a certain salary, but outside the United States, they don't make that salary. And so it behooves um, certain things to happen in other countries because it's, there's not this competition from with the doctor because they, they don't make that kind of money. But here in the States, for better or worse, they make a certain salary and that becomes a, an interesting issue because now doctors don't want to be replaced in a way. They don't want to lose certain things. And I know that sounds odd and horrible, but but it's true. We, you know, we make certain money. We've studied all these years. And um, if you told me tomorrow, yeah, we're, we're cutting your salary by 50%, that's a hard pill, especially when you've adjusted your lifestyle towards that. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting, hard. ethical, interesting stuff to Absolutely. think of. Absolutely. Uh, uh, a, a difficult thing to start talking about to begin with, let alone to begin to deal with something like that. So what's your next book? You know, I have, um, honestly, I'm, I'm, that's a hard one. I, I literally, literally just, I'm about to have 10 books out and <laughs> six of them were within like two months. So I'm actually going to take a little break the next couple of months. Uh, with that said, I, I don't know. I, it, as things come to me, I start seeing a certain problem and I'm like, well, I really need to write a book about this. Uh -huh. The latest one was on aging, which was quite interesting. Um, and then I, just to change it up, I, I've done a couple of crime books and AI, how, how, for example, if you had AI back in the day, some of these serial killers, you probably would have caught them way early in, 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 in life because of AI. And so just stuff like that. I'm just having fun creating. And where, and where can people go to find your books? Yes, sir. Uh, all of them are on amazon.com. So literally just type in Harvey Castro, and then you'll see all the books that are coming out. Yeah, and I want to say, as, as I said, I, I got the book over the weekend and and read it, you know, Bing Copilot and other LLMs, really interesting insights, broad range of topics discussed, and even a few companies discussed. Are there oh, yeah. any companies in the last minute or two that you're saying, hmm, they may have something out there, we should be watching them? Yeah, um, since you mentioned it, I, I like Glass Health. Uh, for doctors, because it's not for, it's not meant for patients, but basically it's using LLMs. They haven't announced which LLM they're using, but basically it allows the doctor to do differential diagnosis, uh, treatment plans, pearls. And I thought, okay, this is great because I see this being the tool for medical students, for you know junior doctors, and then even us seasoned doctors that there's so much technology, so much stuff to learn. This would be a great tool. So it's quite interesting. And to give you a quick example, I have a friend that's a pediatric cardiologist said there's only only 10 cases of this particular disease, he put those symptoms in there to ChatGPT and this other glass health, and they both came out with a differential diagnosis. And it was one of the, the things that they should investigate. And I thought, wow, that's powerful. Absolutely. <laughs> so we'll have to check that out as they, as they continue to grow. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us, Harvey. It's a fascinating area. Look forward to reading a few more of your books. So thanks so much for coming on Pop Health Week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred.
That is the last word on today's broadcast. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in and our special guest, Dr. Harvey Castro, MD, MBA, fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians, who's an author, writer, and go-to medical media expert and speaker for his time and insights today. To learn more about Dr. Castro's work, go to www.harveycastromd.info and do follow on both Twitter and Instagram via at Harvey Castro MD. You can access his work, Bing Copilot and other LLM, Revolutionizing Healthcare with AI, and chat GPT and Healthcare, the key to the new future of medicine via the links in the show's description. And finally, if you're enjoying our work at Pop Health Week, please like the show and the podcast platform of your choice. Share with your colleagues and do consider subscribing to keep up with new episodes as they're posted. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. For Pop Health Week, my co-host Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone. Bye now. Bye now.